0: Welcome to Founder Metrics by Vested, the podcast where we dive into the world of hotshot business leaders and the metrics that drive their game-changing companies forward. I'm your host, Ifti Nasser, CEO and founder of Vested.
1: Thank you very much, Ifti, for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, so I am the founder of of Tillet and together with my co-founder, Paul O'Neill, we founded Tillet a couple of years ago. But before that, I worked in finance, come from the dark side of asset management, (laughs) where I was for eight years in an asset manager called Bailey Gifford, very well-respected, renowned, fantastic firm. And I started with them straight after uni and I thought it was going to be just, oh, this will be a couple of years. I've always wanted to set up my own business at some point. That couple um, of years thing comes back again. Exactly, <laughs> yes. When you were telling me your story, it's a very similar thing. I'll do this for a couple of years and then I'll, I'll do something else. But I really thoroughly enjoyed it and I stayed with him for eight years. Started out as, a, as an investment analyst, then grew into becoming a fund manager and worked on different regions, European equities, corporate bonds, and landed and settled in Japanese equities and managed a small cap fund together with my co-manager. And so looking at really, really tiny companies in Japan... Mm which was super exciting. I think Japan as a country as well is amazing and and I thoroughly enjoyed that. And so that's what I did before Tillit and then I'm sure we'll come on
0: to why. Why don't we just start that? I mean, yeah, you had such a brilliant journey. As you said, Bailey Gifford, respected fund managers. You were one of the respected amongst those. Why the change?
1: Well, I think partly I've always had it in me of I wanted to set up my own thing. In fact, when I said I want I did an internship with Bailey Gifford first and then before I I moved on to the grad scheme, I remember one of the partners at Bailey Gifford saying they were surprised when I expressed that I wanted to. Like, oh I thought you wanted to set up your own business. And I'm like, Oh no no Jared, you know, this is I want to do this and maybe I can do that later on. Which which is indeed kind of what happened. But for me at uni, I wanted I knew I had this kind of desire to try and build something of my own. I had small little entrepreneurial trials or entries Mm -hmm. when I was younger. But for me, I didn't have an idea that I really believed when I was at uni, and and then I really enjoyed the time at Bayleafford. But in the kind of the last few years I was there, I also started taking much more of an interest in how I managed my pension, how to control of that myself, so instead of passing it on to a big pension provider and yeah. they put me in some default funds. As a fund manager, I'm like, well, I want to manage my own pension. So I had a SIP, and it was on one of the big platforms, who's one of our <laughs> main competitors, and. I found it really hard to make good decisions. And that sounds bizarre, given that I was a fund manager. But and, and we'll come on to why that was, because that was also the reason why we're trying to do things differently with Tillett. Sure. But for me, that frustration, I, I'm i going to sound like a really boring friend, but I would talk to everyone about this. of like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. we can't do this. We can't do this. What about this? Yeah. And I complain a lot. And, and eventually, actually, my best friend told me, she's like, why don't you just stop complaining about it and do something about yeah. it? And I think that was the first time, sounds like such a small thing, but for me to connect, I might actually know something about this, of how to be able to try and build a platform that helps people to do a better job. And then also I've always wanted to build my own thing, so the two kind of went hand in hand together with a real personal frustration that I felt as well. So
0: so I guess a lot of success or great ideas come from the frustration. Yep. But I guess yeah, this one in particular... You think about how complicated being a fund manager is and deciding on on investment uh, decisions, doing it as a a DIY person who's not spending all their time checking the markets day in and day out. Actually, that's why they pay fund managers like you guys uh, to start off with. How do you know that they're going to be able to do it themselves?
1: I think there's been a lot more that's happened in the kind of financial space, investing space over the last decade, definitely. Which helps with access, and I think whether it's stock trading platforms, whether it's opening up alpha classes, there's loads of great things to give people like you and me access to alpha classes that previously only used to be available for individual, uh, for, for professional investors. Yeah. But so I think access is one thing, but there's also become a lot more engagement. People actually care, and money affects us all. And, and financial independence is one of those things that a lot of people want and stress around money is something that also affects a huge amount number of people. So I think over the last few years as well, there's been a lot more interest in trying to understand these things. There's a lot of content out there as well. And a lot of other great companies are trying to help people do a better job and manage their money and, and understand where it is, but also how do you make good decisions with it? So I think, and ultimately, you know, everyone gets some more, not everyone, but a lot of it, like getting a mortgage feels like a natural thing. People are like, oh, I'm going to buy a house, I'm going to get a mortgage. That is a huge financial risk you're taking. That you're locking up a big amount of money in one fixed asset. Investing is a, is a very different thing, but people feel like that is so alien. And so I think with time, people are more than capable. Investing isn't rocket science. It's just that the industry likes to make it seem really difficult. And and there are things that are tricky about it, but it's not something that you have to have a PhD in finance to understand or be incredibly bright or come from some kind of background, anyone with, a, with the right tools and the right kind of understanding can make yeah.
0: good. And I'm innovation. looking forward to hearing much more <laughs> about that. But just going back to the, the piece around the house versus you know, general investing, the house is something that you can feel, touch, it's tangible. Mm-hmm. You'll probably have done your research going around a few places, knowing the neighborhood, et cetera. So you can put some sort of valuation on it and it's relatively speaking, unless you're in a downturn, it's relatively solid. It may not skyrocket, but then it won't plummet to, to zero. But with investing, that's clearly a, a possibility. And you will not have possibly, will you, or will it help you make those wiser uh, assessments?
1: I think, of course, there are definitely areas of investing which is very, very risky, But I think also, I mean, when it comes to a house, I think without going too much into the mortgage market, right, but I think our parents' generation have seen fantastic wealth creation through their homes in a way that I personally don't believe that our generation will. And I think that plays into it partly where people look at home ownership as this rose-tinted silver bullet for their retirement. I don't think that is going to be reliable to, to lean on for our generation. So... You have to look beyond that. So I'm not saying owning a house is different, but I think also the emotional attachment there. Are we making a rational decision when buying a house or selling a house? Don't know. Um, but it, when it comes to investing as well, there's so much range when it comes to investing, and 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 there's different asset classes that behave in different ways. And there's also the difference of do you go in and pick the underlying stocks or investing specific currencies or do you without going into too much of the blockchain space and the crypto space but there's all kinds of specific assets but then there's also a lot of more established assets and ways to get access to the markets that over time you know past the past is not the guide to the future but if you look at the performance of stock markets over time and we're talking really really long-term figures here you're kind of looking at about around six percent per annum over time over long periods of time and I think that's the thing of Nothing will ever perform in a straight line upwards. But if you take a long-term view, and for me, investing is investing for minimum five years. Really, we're talking decades if you can. And then there's other pots that you might need to move around sooner than that. But if you take a long-term view and you can ride those ups and downs, and there's different asset classes that will give you more or less of those rides up and down, over time, you should be able to do better with your money than
0: if it's sitting in a savings account. Oh yes, um, you, you talked about rides. I guess it's uh, uh, it's that feeling in your stomach yep. that you get when you're on a ride. When when it is going down, it feels scary. Yep. It's going up, oh, you may well be comfortable, but you may be anticipating. So uh, I guess managing your, your stomach in that journey is is a very key thing. But where did the name Tillit come from? That's a great question. The
1: company was actually called something else in the very first few months of existence. And then we changed and what for us was really important. So till it means trust in Swedish. I am Swedish. And, and I wasn't actually the person who came up with that name. But we were looking for a name that was one word, easy to pronounce, and most importantly, had meaning to what we do. Yeah. and. And it is, as as you will know, incredibly hard to come up with a name of naming a company that no one else has thought yep. about in your industry, yep. isn't trademarked and all of those different things. And so what we did is we wrote this long, long list, me and my co-founder, and we had my family involved, his family involved. And we wrote this long list of words that we thought in English that we thought, you know, this, this would be a great name for the company. And we couldn't get any of them for all different kinds of reasons. And then it was actually my co-founder's wife, Vinka, who I don't know if it was her idea to translate the list into Swedish. Maybe that was Paul. Um, just as a yeah. let's see where we get to. But she was the one who picked out Tillet because to me I've looked at that word in a different context, whereas for her it just looked like a cool word. And yeah. so we have this picture of her having Tillet on a on a post-it, which is just brilliant because it's also a palindrome yeah, from back, a branding perspective. Exactly from... Yeah, it, it's a really cool word. But it it does fundamentally I think trust is the holy grail of of finance, of money and and all of that. So and that's what we're trying to build with Tillet, the platform that you trust and people go to those who you trust with questions about their money and advice
0: so in a nutshell how does it work how does it work you sign up you've got X pounds in you, your pocket be, yeah.
1: yeah how do you get started so so it so we are a diy platform so we don't give personal financial advice that's one of the main things that we kind of need to make clear in the beginning is that we don't tell you what to invest in but we give you the tools that you should be able to find what's right for you on your own um so you're regulated we are regulated, we are directly authorised by the FDA and um, and we are regulated um for the service that we provide. Uh, but we don't give you, can't come in and say, hi, you know, I'm looking for this risk and this kind of time frame and this is the stuff that I want, what should I be invested in? Instead, we offer a platform of funds that we have handpicked every single one. So we don't do it with stocks and shares, only funds, investment yeah. trusts and ETFs. And there's reasons for that as well, which I'm happy to go into. But the, the really the aim of the platform is to give you everything you need in terms of breadth and range of what you might want to invest in as an investor. But we're trying to remove the choice paralysis that you get with the thousands and thousands yeah. of options on other yeah. platforms. And I think the other thing on top of that, and of course there's other things that make Telet unique as well, but what you can do by being more focused and giving people that range without sacrificing that you can't invest in this particular asset class or that particular asset class is that we can go deeper on those funds and that means that we can give you the information that you would otherwise really struggle to get a hold of unless you sat with a fund manager in the room or with the provider if it's a passive fund in the room.
0: So how, how do you do that selection? You're saying you've got hundreds of possibilities how do you sift out to the quality or for want of better, whatever the characteristics of the investable funds or assets are for you
1: yeah it's a huge it's a huge amount of work and we we started off building what we call our kind of our fund selection manifesto of starting from scratch what do we believe makes a great fund yeah and those of us who came up with that is are also people who are on our investment committee now people with real experience of managing money managing funds and managing clients money and and we kind of looked at what do we think across passive active we don't take a view we offer both But what do we think makes, what are those little ingredients that we think we can't predict the future, but what do we think stacks the odds in their favor of doing well? And then after that, we've developed a very long kind of process and due diligence questionnaires and all of that in terms of how do we then, the selection process itself, how do we scour the market? How do we narrow that? Then we have a lot of interviews with the fund managers, with the salespeople, and then we write reports. We discuss it in our investment committee. We usually then go back and do more work. (laughs) more meetings with the fund managers and eventually we kind of narrow down with what might have started with a list of 20 in a particular area yeah. ends up with one or two and then there's a lot of ongoing due diligence on those funds as well, which is really really key that it's not just when you buy it but making sure that you're on top of what happens with that fund as you continue to offer it or hold it as an investor as so we've seen some scandals in the industry yeah. around that so that is also a really key part of it
0: so you do a lot of work behind the scenes to sift out to filter out good investment opportunities and build the the data set the information for your customers your clients but when it comes to your clients are they essentially left to the software or is there guidance how does it work
1: so with tillit you come in and uh, the starting point if you're landing on kind of the main page of the platform is a, a page of hexagons and what we've got there is different themes so whether you're interested in active funds or invested it in, or you're interested in emerging markets or you're interested in value investing whatever it is you have these little tiles that give you a short snappy summary of what kind of style of investing is this you can then go through from there and look at okay what are the funds that we offer in that space and then you end up with kind of a short list of of the funds and we've given each of those funds a nickname like a a tweet kind of short line of trying to describe what this fund does but in actual plain English because fund names usually I mean they confuse everyone and don't really mean very much to most people so we try to give it kind of a one-liner, what is this? And then you can go from there to find out more information, click through to that fund's page. You can see a video interview with a fund manager. If there is, if it's an actively managed fund, you can read our bespoke kind of kind of executive summary that we call the Tillit View, where we explain what is this fund? Why do we think it's special? How might it perform in markets that when it goes up or down, what are the key risks and why might it be right for you? As well as performance and holdings, of course. But it's those kind of additional information so you really build up a view of this is what this fund does and how it might perform
0: in the future not just how it's performed in the yeah. past yes yeah. so the past is no guarantee of the future exactly as we as we all know but just going back to the, the customer your client. Mm-hmm. so there's all the engagement with the client is digital yes there's no human interaction
1: we have live chat so supporting them but yes yeah. otherwise it's all self-served yeah true. Okay.
0: what are the the things, what are the metrics or the signals that you look for to make you feel comfortable that you're doing a good job, or that things need to be addressed or worked oh, on?
1: Yep, it was a great question. I mean, we have a North Star metric and. I'll go into a little bit like we tried OKRs and yep. that was a struggle for us. And and I think people have different views. You're either really diehard fan of OKRs or or it's not quite right for you guys or maybe at the stage of the business. But we have a North Star metric, which is net cumulative flows. And so and so what that really means is that the reason why we settle on it. So what it means first of is that we look at all of the inflows, so every all of the money that people have added to the platform, either through deposits or transfers. Yep. And then all of the outflows that people are removing money from the platform. So it's not about performance. It's not looking at markets because of the conversation we had earlier. And then we look at that because that is essentially how we make money. And so the reason we settled on that as a North Star metric is because ultimately the North Star, we believe in from what we've uh, learned about are setting this in a, in a good way is looking at are people valuing the service? So are they willing to pay for it? And the assets, it's what we set our platform fee based on. Right. And so understanding how much people parking with Tillet versus removing from Tillet, we can't affect how markets perform, we can't affect what people invest in. And so therefore, we we look at it in that sense. And for us, that is then one that has been consistently rising, despite the fact that markets have been tricky over the last year in particular. But for us, that's going well and that's growing. And, and so that's the main kind of overall metric. But then there's obviously a lot of things underneath that. And, and that is sometimes qualitative ones as well as quantitative ones. And so we try to talk to our customers to understand as well, how do they make a decision that they feel confident with? How do they make a decision that they feel, okay, I know what I'm doing and this is right for me. And so part of it is, is customer interviews, but it's also looking at how many televiews do they read? How many um, videos do they watch, and yeah. What do they do on the platform when they get no results in the, when they're looking for something specific? specifically what do they do there so that we can make sure that what we offer both in range of the funds as well as the information about those funds is what people want and then we build other things around it but so it's a combination of um it's not it's not so much with a lot of the other kind of investment platforms or i would call them trading platforms a lot of it has to do with engaging and trading as an ex-fund manager, I know that one of the best ways to destroy value is to overtrade, and and try to think that you can time the market. The best thing is not to look at your investments for the most part, um, and just make good decisions and leave them be. Do their own thing. That's really hard psychologically. But um, That's very much the Berkshire
0: Hathaway uh, approach, yeah, it, as, as we know. It's it's yeah, they're very yeah, wise right, people right. over there, and but there are loads of people selling right. on the internet that yeah, you can be, uh, yeah, set, uh, quit your job, become a day trader, and. Uh,
1: yeah i take issue with those people but and that and that view uh i think it is of course very possible without going into that yeah. i think it's extremely rare to to make that work over the long term and for people who have a full-time job um but so so for us it's less about engaging into the app every day to look at us to look at a fund or to trade something it's more even if they come in three times a year they put a big they put their ISA in they invest that They invested in, I don't know, a range of funds and then they come back in even if it's once every other month. We don't think that's bad because we are about long-term investing. And that's also how we structure our fees and everything else. We don't charge for trading. We don't make money if people trade. If anything, that is something that hurts us a bit more because we eat that cost
0: ourselves. Yeah, because you want them to have the funds flow on the on the platform exactly yes a platform to
1: yeah and make better decisions ultimately for themselves which should be about making good decisions for the long term and so so for us it's less about daily engagement and all of those things and it's much more when they come in what do they do and how do they place their money and actually not changing it around would suggest to us that okay they're confident in the decision they've made so it's it's a bit unusual compared to a free trade, a Robinhood, and and all of those yeah. platforms.
0: Just as you've talked about that, and I, th- I think about my own little forays and adventures in this space. You know, th- there's some comfort, let's say, even if it's a a percent or two reduction in return on investment, that you don't have any headache. Uh, yeah, and so that notion of getting to a more zen state of investment, rather than watching the ups and downs and the um, the fairground rides that we talked about earlier sometimes it might well be just as uh, as um, helpful for the individual to take that long-term view and learn a piece of uh, sedate investing, for of that better phrase.
1: And I think it, does, it doesn't it does have to be about, is it boring, is it exciting? But I think there is an element of, of trading and, and betting in and out on, on is Tesla going to go up or down? Like, that's an exciting thing. That's that's more akin to gambling in a sense of that is entertainment. That is, that is you know, one type of thing. Whereas investing in my opinion, is long-term investing is about expressing what is your view on the world? What is the what do you believe is going to be bigger or more important or matter in 10 years' time? You invest in those areas and you invest in those because they will take time to develop. Those are the views that you can express through your investments long term. So that doesn't have to be boring, but action doesn't necessarily mean excitement. It's making a really interesting investment in something that whether it's a passive fund tracking an interesting area or whether it's an active fund trying to invest in a particular area or or seam or whatever it might be, that is something that you're parking your hard-earned money in because you're making that bet on like in the future, five, 10 years beyond, that will grow and become really exciting in the world and you will benefit from that financially. So I think it's just a different kind of thing. It's not the same investing. It's not all the same. And So
0: way. without this sounding like uh, investment advice or anything <laughs> of that nature, if I had a view that, you know, the future is in water, so f- water mm. futures, that's the sort of long-term positioning that you, you're talking about and could one take a, a position on water futures through it?
1: so with those things because we offer funds specifically that would those kind of things would be within the sustainable area so we have sustainable yep. funds that look into and then you can read about what is it that they're looking yep. at each of those funds some of those have a very specific mission on environment some of those have a more specific vision on kind of lifting people out of poverty and so there's different Fantastic. things that you can do and then you also have if you believe that there's parts of the world in terms of economies that you think will be much bigger in the future whether that's emerging markets frontier markets a dedicated Vietnam area whatever it might yeah. be you can get access to that through funds in actually a way that you can't necessarily so stocks we can buy most of the European stocks UK stocks US stocks right. but if you want to invest in small companies in China making a difference in 10 years time as a private individual, you need a lot of money. You yeah. need access to an exchange and set up an account in, in China. There's a lot of things there. Whereas with funds, you can access those exciting areas without having to pick the individual's notes yeah. underneath. So absolutely, whatever your view is, you can express that through funds.
0: Talking about funds, you, you got a few funds last year. Nice investment of 3.6 million, was it?
1: Yeah, we closed on Christmas Eve in 2021. So that was a nice Christmas yeah. gift oh, company.
0: Yeah. yeah, 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 <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And with that, what what yeah again as a founder, it's great to get the investment. Yeah, but course, then that comes with uh, uh, with great investment comes great responsibility. So how did that uh, yeah. t- tell me about that investment story? Because I think um, from my earlier understanding, you actually got much more than you were uh, setting out to to take.
1: Yeah, so we raised two rounds. So the first round we raised in COVID, and we set out to take five hundred k, and that was because we were trying to figure out what is the minimum to get the platform live sure. and that's when we ended and that was in the middle of covid in summer of 2020 when we were fundraising and we closed down the first of october and that's where we ended up being very lucky to, to take in a million instead right. um and that was to get really get the platform going which to some people might sound in in hindsight did you take too much money i think in hindsight we learned that we, that was never going to work with 500k the building an investment platform and all of the regulatory all of the plum all of the stuff even
0: when, you, have when partners, you put the regulatory piece into it, it just yeah the time horizon just gets extended yes. massively
1: and, and you can't like with other products where you can go out and you can put a fake landing page together okay. like all of that you, you cannot do that in finance I and, and there's so many exactly you know and there's so many restrictions and, and we see these as an exciting challenge for the whole team of see, it, see all the red tape as a challenge of how do you make sure that we get the message out in a compelling way that is, you know, compliant. And that is a trickier challenge than in most other industries. So so that stage we got in a million through a combination of angels and, and a venture capitalist fund. And then the next round, the following round, we raised 3.6 and that we ended up actually doing that with the same VC and three of the angels that we had in the first round. So we didn't bring in any new investors because we could close to 3.6 really? quite quickly with that. And so, of course, as you mentioned, that's a huge responsibility, mm-hmm. but it's also great to see when your existing investors are really backing you to put in even more money in and they want to, to continue to grow the business. And, and that's what's managed to keep us going for now. And then we're looking to raise again next year, as most people are trying to push out the raise as far as possible now
0: because the market yeah. is... Really I think that, uh, that credibility of your existing investors mm-hmm. putting more in is massive. Yeah. But that um, hurdle of getting regulated shouldn't be underestimated. But with that, as you quite rightly said, comes a huge amount of uh, surety and strength because people will see that almost as a, a badge of honour for you Yeah. in terms of they know that the, the platform has uh, some rigour behind it. So Absolutely. That's, that's brilliant. Yeah. So now that um, you've got the money in, and yes, as you say, you're trying to push out the, the time horizon for the next uh, raise, what do you think your investors are looking for from you in terms of that investment? Yes, you as a business of your North Star metric, but what do you think the, the investors are, are looking for?
1: I think apart from the obvious thing that I think all investors are looking for growth, right? Yeah. But I think apart from that, it's also really how do we learn and make sure that we really understand who, in terms of the customer profile, really values to it and how do we scale that into a really big successful business and and some of that isn't just growth at any cost some of that is really understanding our positioning in the industry where we sit and how we can really build a sustainable platform one of the things that i talked a lot to investors about in the last two rounds that we got a lot of questions about was that for basically all of the new entrants in the wealth tech space whether it's robo advisors or stock trading platforms or whatever it is you typically get very low value accounts in terms of people put in a, a little bit of money, they play around and then they leave. And like, how do you Not build?
0: Them and build, yeah.
1: Exactly. How do you get them to stay? How do you get them to commit more of their hard earned savings? And for us, that's the because of our position of focusing on funds, focusing on long-term investing. The way that we've we instructed our fees is rewarding people every year yeah. by with giving them a lower fee for every year that they're a customer to really try and... good idea, I like that. Well, yeah, I think investing is long-term. We should all benefit from that, not just the wealthy. Um, And so I think all of those things and putting a platform in place which helps people make those long-term decisions also helps people be sticky. So our attention is very strong, but it's also trying to get people to trust you with their money for a long time. That takes a while because you start off with something, then you move in with more money, then you transfer an account. So for our investors is really making sure that we have a clear idea of who are those people, how do we get more of them and how do we, with the money from the next round, how do we scale this up in in a compelling way?
0: Yeah, putting more money in when you can't really see the growth in the short-term horizon because as you said, this is a long-term game. It's a, a really tricky problem. Solving it, I guess is going to take a lot of effort. yeah, let's just step back a, a second then you know we, we talk about metrics of the business, metrics that help uh, investors support you, metrics that will help clients and customers come to you. but uh, thinking about you as a as a human, Alicia you know, you're driven to do this. It takes a huge amount of passion to move out of a steady, safe uh, environment, a fully well rewarded rewarding environment. To, to take this on. So as a founder, you inevitably, I would imagine, take a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. How are you coping with that?
1: Mm, it's an interesting one. I think I for me, and I say this to my friends as well and people I used to work with, it's till it is the hardest thing I have ever done in my life by a very long mile. And I've had a very challenging job intellectually and so on as well. But it's it's just trying to build something from scratch in an incredibly competitive market and when you have a first time founder and yeah. you're trying to figure things out and you try you have to learn you learn every day but it's the best thing i've ever done and i think for me i love the fact that there's so much going on that there's so much there's such a fierce competition the odds are not stacked in our favor let's be honest they're not i get spurred on by that i like that competition and i think for me, every day that I see we build something that someone else doesn't have, or we get a customer coming and saying, I I used this thing where I read this Tiller view. And I finally, after 10 years of investing, right. understand what this does. Like for me, that is worth gold. And, and that motivates me. And I think that's why I have this kind of just relentless drive to make Tiller a success. And I think that is something that you find in a lot of founders. But I really fundamentally believe that if we don't, as a society, make it easier for people to make good decisions with their savings, mm-hmm. none of us are going to be able to afford to retire. And, and this, so it is fundamentally... A very abundant.
0: interesting uh, view, yeah.
1: And I, and I really believe that. And I think that is quite scary. But I think that's why I really believe that this is needed. And 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 that really spurs me on. So I think I try to take breaks and so on. Like if I go on holiday, I go yeah. properly on holiday. I don't take my laptop. I don't. Do, I think that's really important. If I'm on, I'm on. If I'm off, I'm off. Kind of thing. Unless of course there is some kind of disaster yeah. that I am for the only, for whatever reason the only person who can resolve, which is never going to be the case. Yeah. So I think that is really important. But then it's for me it, this whole work life balance. I listened to another podcast and I can't remember the name of of, of the guy who said this, but it was another founder. And he was talking about how oh how do you make sure you get work-life balance right? And, and he was saying, well, it's not so much about getting work-life balance. It's kind of you just lift the level of stress tolerance, and you just kind of you, uh, you operate on a higher level that isn't a higher level, like a different level where that feels that becomes the new normal. And that might not seem healthy to some people, but I think that's the thing. Of the reality is, if you want to build and you know this and become more, that you have much more success than we've managed to see achieve so far. That you can't just do a nine to five you can't just have necessarily the same life you had before you have to sometimes not always but you really have to commit to it and the fact that you have a team who are willing to dedicate like that is such a privilege to me that we have a team of absolutely brilliant people who have chosen to come and work for us they would get paid more somewhere else they know that we know that but they really believe in what we're doing and they're they're really working so hard to make this a success for me, like, I can't let them down,
0: and I don't want to. And, that, and that's part of the, everything. the piece I was trying to get to. Yes, we all have this notion. We've, yeah, we've watched enough podcasts about you know, when you're off, you're off, all, all the rest of it. But mm. ultimately, the buck stops here.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And that's the piece I was just trying to gauge how... Yeah, it's just sharing views with fellow founders. Just how do you... And it is a different level. Yeah. I, similar to you, I used to run around the planet, you know, day in, day out, busy, busy, busy. But I don't think I've had anything close to the level of responsibility on a personal level yeah. uh, and therefore workload that you, you end up taking on board. Uh, but you've chosen it. Yes. It's a, absolutely a choice. And understanding how you gauge that new norm that you talked mm. about, how, how, how do you make sure that you don't flip? Because again, there are so many stories uh, where there are founders co-founders where it doesn't work out and yeah. how, how do we help them manage and understand the, the metrics the signals they're going to help them realize when actually you no, know, I really do need to stop
1: yeah I think it's trying to both check in with yourself I think if you know yourself I mean I everyone you know founders can start a business at different parts of your yeah. life but I've had a career before I've, I've gone through things that have been difficult before i know some of those signals of when it feels the way that my body feels the way that my mind feels if it gets a bit too much and so i think that's being able to recognize and and being kind to yourself that that's okay but,
0: but what is it do you get easily rattled do you withdraw well what are the signals for you Felicia? it might be yeah. too personal that no. you don't want to share but no it's an interesting try to help one. other
1: yeah I think for me, it just becomes a, I can't think clearly. As in, I just get kind of, my thoughts are a bit paralyzed. And I'm like, why can't I? Because I think coming back briefly, just because there's so many things that you, you're you juggling at the yeah. same time that you need to be able to put one thing aside to be able to focus on something else and be able to move around and get clarity of thought, even though there's a million things yeah. and, and demands on you. And I think if I'm struggling to do that, and I find that I'm not enjoying that, um, and of course, you're not going to love every aspect of the journey. It's going to be difficult times. But if there's something where I don't enjoy the things that I normally enjoy of whether it's for me, I love coming up with new ideas. I love with how do we strategically move position till it long term, all of those things. If I don't take enjoyment out of some of those things in the small day state, then something is wrong, something else that isn't to do with that. And And I think the other thing is for me. So I've done this before in the team where I felt like it's a bit too much now. It felt just too much that I said that to the whole team. I'm like, I'm just going to need to take a couple of days because I need to clear my head. Some things, it's just a bit too much. So bear with me for a little bit and then I'll be back on it. And I think that is also really important because everyone works so hard that if you don't show as founders that it's okay to not be 100% every single day, then they also, because that's also what I worry about is what about my co-founders? So I, we try to check in with each other that if I think, Paul is is behaving a bit differently to what he normally would I'm like are you okay I think you need to take a holiday and we tell each other as well right you need to take holiday you need to take holiday so I think it's is those things as well and having loved ones around you who also help you check in of why are you still working at midnight and, and and things like this of of trying to just make sure is everything okay so The combination. So for me is just mentally not enjoying and feeling a bit paralyzed. That's usually my main sign that there's a bit too much or something's not quite right. I'm not sure how if that's helpful for others, but that's how it is for me.
0: I think it definitely will be. I'm absolutely sure of it. So you say so when you took on the first funds you were at six, how many how big's the team now?
1: We're thirteen people
0: now. 13 votes. Yeah,
1: so that's I. Th- I think that's quite a lean team for being a regulated platform with everything yeah. that we do, and and that comes back to the brilliant people that we have got in the team. So thirteen now, and then looking to grow that after the next race, not before.
0: Right. So we'll hold at the current number
1: until the next race. Yes, exactly. We think we have the rock stars we need to be able to get us through to that to that race, and then after that, we
0: we grow a, the team the a bit more. Picks. All right. Yeah. So. Let's say the the raise is a year or two from now or even a year. Who knows? Let's not uh, prejudge where where you guys get. But where, where do you see till it five years, as we've said, is too short a <laughs> time horizon to really gauge, but ten years? Yes. Where is ten where is till it on your tenth anniversary, let's say?
1: Tenth anniversary. Yeah. I mean till it is first of all a platform where anyone, regardless of how much money you have, feel that they can go to for trusted independent uh, I was just about to say the the word, guine- a little, eh, guine- <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> the little a guidance around, yes, um around how do I make great investment decisions? Yeah. And that is regardless of not just how much money you have, but also where you live. So for us, the, the UK is our starting point, but there isn't a reason why there shouldn't be a global platform where you have the best in class funds, regardless of where you live and what you have access to. There's legal structural bits to make that, like sew that together, sure. which there are solutions for. And I think that's the thing that at the moment you can trade stocks, you can trade Tesla in many different countries, but you can't necessarily buy the same funds because of these borders. Now, there's ways around that that we want to bring together, one, that kind of go-to place where you go for what we believe to be the best-in-class funds, regardless of what you want to invest in.
0: I think that's that's great because, as you say, you're giving guidance. You're not giving advice. No, no. And uh, as a consequence, that guidance is relevant. Wherever you are in the world, exactly if it's insights and sharing wisdom or yeah you know, uh, experience yep. with people. Then wh- why why shouldn't it be available to everybody fast? Excellent. Exactly. So that ten year horizon is a global uh, tele- um helping people make better decisions for their uh, economic futures.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I think there's many ways that we can do that, and the path isn't completely. We haven't drawn out every checkpoint. We know the destination and that's really what matters is is really empowering people so that it feels as natural as going to get a mortgage.
0: I guess that's something I've heard about as well, that you've got quite an exciting roadmap of stuff from your head. Can you give us a, a few insights, a few little uh, glimpses into that future?
1: I think, yeah, there's a couple of different things. Some of it is more related to how we reach people in terms of, which I'll come on to in a second, but the other one, if I touch on something so which is more product related so we've just released our portfolio builder which is the first version of that and that really helps people uh, manage their portfolio not just build a portfolio in the first place with figuring out okay this is how much i would have in equities based on what i'm putting in my fund or how much i uh, in my in my portfolio this is how much i would have in this asset class this region whatever and trying to get that a visual view of what does that mean for my portfolio but then also helping people rebalance that i use a spreadsheet it's ridiculous i use a spreadsheet with my own pension before this tool to try and understand okay based on how much i have here and if i put a bit more in here what does that mean for my overall allocation to japan or to europe or to alternative assets okay. And so, try and help people with that but it's what we can do with that to take that much further because of the curation because of the fact that we go deeper on those funds what we can do with look through data and really help you understand Well, what is my own as like Fifty, the investor what is your exposure to what are your top 10 holdings yeah. for example because if you look at funds you see their top 10 holdings but depending on how much you own of one fund in a particular area that does a particular thing your own top 10 might look very different And so, it's trying to again empower you as the user to really have full understanding about where is your money mm. how is that invested and is that the right is that the way where you want it to be and then to be able to make changes and informed decisions on the back of that so that's something where we're going to dig a lot deeper through that tool. But
0: that's again, going back to the fact that you don't give advice, but mm-hmm. you will see people with one or two investments or funds and a hundred. Do you guide people as to where there is, is, is there a sweet spot or is it literally down to your own appetite as, a, as an investor, whether you want the complexity that comes over here or the simplicity that comes down here, rather than the reward that might come from somewhere in between?
1: Yeah, it's a really tricky one because I think it's, it's also sometimes various people have different views on what is diversification and what is risk. I mean, that is a question we ask the fund managers. They all don't have the same answer. Like, we, as an industry, we can't agree on what is risk and what is risk to you is different to what is risk That's to me. True. Where I'm willing to take risk in my portfolio is different to where you might be want to take risk in your portfolio. It's a bit similar with diversification. And I think in that sense, whether it's two funds, one fund, 100 funds, that depends on if those hundred are all, I don't know, China funds or one fund that is a global multi asset fund, sure. you're more diversified there than you are there. And that's where this whole thing comes back to look through data of understanding your what's actually in your in your portfolio. But so we so it's we can't go in and say, okay, if you have one fund, we think you should have a few more or you have way too much in China or whatever it is. Yes. But what we try to do instead is what we try to do with both the platform and the content and, and so on that we provide with our customers, to our customers, is to get that, to get to an understanding of what might good look like without telling them individually what they yeah. should be doing. But you know, it's giving them the information
0: you know, so you can understand it. You know, yeah, Giving somebody the tools to do a 100 funds, yeah. they might just start doing that. And then yeah. oh, it's only later on down the line that they realize just yes. what complexity and headaches have created. Of themselves that's true and i think that's why
1: tools like the portfolio builder is so important because that's the way that we as a platform that can't give advice can essentially take your decision yeah. and play them back to you in a way that makes sense in plain english of like oh i thought i was investing like my, one of my favorite examples yeah. is this: so, all so you invest in a global fund in a tech fund in a u.s fund a lot of people will not realize that you are very very concentrated in u.s tech yeah. companies because <laughs> That is what's represented in all of these. And then you throw in a sustainable fund, and again, it's the same thing. But people might look at it like, oh, I have some global, I have some US, I have some tech, I have some sustainable stuff. I'm super diversified. You are so not diversified. And that is, or you may not be that diversified. And and I think that's the thing of, we can't tell them you are not diversified in words you should do something else but if we give you the portfolio bill that shows you it's, it's all CDR in google and i'm like yeah <laughs> You're like oh i should probably do something about that and so it's trying to get people and again it's about empowering not this hand-holding yeah. thing but actually giving people the tools to confidently feel i can do what's right for me myself i don't have to mm-hmm. go and pay, spend a lot of money on expensive advice you mentioned some other platforms earlier on yeah. and financial advice has value But it depends on if you have a very complex estate, there's taxes, there's all kinds of aspects where I think financial advice adds a lot of value. When it comes to investing, if we as an industry do our job properly, you shouldn't need investing Uh. advice. And I think that's the thing of we can give you the information you need and the tools you need to be able to do it yourself.
0: The next question is really around what just in my mind's eye, I can see where you could end up. Because if you have a portfolio of clients, thousands, hundreds of thousands doing stuff, you'll be able to see patterns yeah. and those patterns might be helpful to other clients and it's just really interesting what you might be able to to get to yeah I was just trying to get a gauge of just how far from that data rich world that Ooh. will give insights as as you grow yeah to your existing clients therefore make it attractive for people to actually come in because you're sharing what you're learning with them
1: exactly and that is something that we definitely want to do and i think but because of because of the nature of what we offer it takes us a little bit longer to get to those customer numbers to get to the asset numbers gets us yeah. a bit quicker so it depends on because we're looking at average higher value account you know we talk about CAC and LTV as founders all the time and, and a lot of people just talk about CAC but we're also looking at well our LTVs should be considerably higher because of the amount of money that people are moving over and trusting us with for longer but that takes a bit of time to build up so how do we so it's tying that business model up with not rushing it's trying to find either ways other ways to not build um a platform that isn't what till it is supposed to be about just to get more customers through the door to give us data because then that data is not the relevant data yeah. for
0: those customers. So it's not about so yeah, it's it's 20 da- 20 so just for the ones that yeah, yeah, about looking at you farming your clients for, for data yeah. it's about pulling together the data the insights the, the wisdom the combined wisdom that you're getting from your yeah. portfolio for, and having some way of sharing it that's where i was getting to rather than yeah farming it and necessarily making money out of that in of itself of course
1: yeah no, no, that's, that, that's a good point. I mean, for us, is at the moment, it's it's more kind of, it's trying to look at what are the patterns that we can see, but also being very very kind of aware that there's caveats with that with that in there. So it's more to come and it's growing, but we're still, there's a lot of things that I'd like us to kind of be able to delve into and then be able to share back. So we're starting to, there's a few things that we're starting to be able to share back, but there'll be more in the future, yeah.
0: So it's an exciting future where you really share show... We're going to stay connected, obviously, as we both carry on down the these journeys. But when we sit here in, um, let's say, ten years from now, what do you think the 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 learning that you're seeking from this about yourself?
1: It's really hard to separate it from till it to an extent. I think for me, the reason why I left my old career, which to everyone's shock and horror, of why would you ever give something like this up? to do this because I I had this view and I I still do that you I don't want to live with regret and I'd rather try and fail and that's that's the thing that even if until it fails I know even if it fails tomorrow we have changed how even our existing customer base right now think about money and think about investing for me that means the world and so being able to try dare to fail and pick myself up again and I think that is being able to to make some positive change to people and be able to continue to do that. And if Tillit at one time doesn't help me do that or doesn't make me feel like I can do that, then I think I'd probably be looking for something else that can help me do that. But yeah, it's it's daring to fail and and yeah.
0: I think that that, that's a brilliant place for us to to close out on this because yeah, even if Tillit fails, which I'm sure it won't, (laughs) I'm absolutely sure it won't, but you have already made a, a change in the market. Other people, as you say, people are following you, competitors. The fact is you've created a a change in the the paradigm. And I think you should be very proud and pleased about that, Felicia. And thank you so much for joining me today. Really, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure and great. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Founder Metrics. Remember, Even the biggest of ambitions are within your reach when you leverage the right strategies and metrics. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and never miss a future episode. You can visit vested.com, founder metrics for additional resources, articles, and exclusive content. Join our growing community of entrepreneurs and founders by following us on LinkedIn or X. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Let's continue to unlock the metrics of success, sharing, and create a brighter future.